Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. That is some absolutely world-class sitting down there, staying at home, just sitting down. Oh, look, there he goes. He's eaten his fourth sandwich of the day. This is remarkable. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse fucking Arsecast Extra. <laughs> oh, it's getting to me. Uh, An Arsecast Extra, as always, with Who Are You Again? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh my god! What's What's funny is that normally, if that happened, we would we would go over that. But after last week and this week, it feels like the faulty intro might become a kind of format point of the Artcast Extra going forward. Wow, we could get new and creative ideas going on. How am I going to fuck up saying the words Artcast Extra or James <laughs> from Gunner Blog? I don't know. It's good to to blow the explicit rating in the first three seconds of the podcast. Well, though. that's that it. Is good. Start as you mean to go on, as they say. Yes. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, you know, it's another week. Um... And here we are. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, fine. Everything's everything's okay. Um, had a quiet weekend, as you might imagine. Didn't do any uh, disco dancing or, or anything like that. In um, many ways, we were perfectly set up for lockdown, weren't we? Because we've always done this remotely. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You hear uh, some podcasts now are struggling to sort of get people in the studio and what have you. Mm. And uh, yeah, we've... This is like water off a duck's back for us in podcast terms anyway not so much the the isolation and everything else in in the the grim dark future there will only be podcasts it's it's the time radio are, are people listening to the radio again i imagine I there might I'm, be. people always listen to the radio i think uh, although i, I listen to the radio more yeah i kind of have to turn it off because they keep putting the news on and the news is just profoundly depressing all the that time <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's sort of surreal in the background. So you don't get to hear the voices you don't want to hear or hear the statistics and stuff like that. So, yeah, podcasts, that's the way forward. Uh, I see Arsenal have launched a new podcast. Um, yeah, somebody asked us about that. And did, are we, do we fear for our future in the light of the the Arsenal podcast? Mm. I, I, uh, I mean, do you want to answer that? No. I don't. I mean, look, nobody's got anything to do. So there's loads of time to listen to podcasts. And our, our friends at the uh, Tuesday Club are back tomorrow as well. Uh, for those That's of you who exciting, haven't heard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're back tomorrow. And you can keep an eye on the uh, timeline of Alan Davies or, or Tayo Papula. If you check their timelines out on Twitter, you get all the links you need for a brand new episode of the Tuesday Club tomorrow. No, I've got no problem with it at all. The more the merrier, you know, the, the more choice there is for people out there, the better. Um, you know, and if nothing else, James, it will drive us on to be even more explicit at the start of podcasts that we fuck up than we already are. 
Yes, although I noticed their guest this week is Wojciech Szczesny, so mm. maybe he beat us to it. You never know with Szczesny. He's a, a live wire. Yeah. Hello, Wojciech. How are you? Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck Spurs or something like that. That would be a good way, a good way of starting. Uh, I'm sure that would be a good listen. Mm. I mean, he's a yeah. very entertaining guy. The players are back. Well, sort of back, aren't they, at mm. training today? Yeah, I think we had a question about that as well. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, Seeing as people have sent these questions in, we, we probably should refer to them. We should. More, more specifically than me just casually referencing the idea there was no question about something. Yeah, I thought I opened it, but it appears not to be there anymore. But it was basically something along the lines of, well, the players are back in training. Does that mean football can operate under different rules from everyone else? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. I have to say, um, without wishing to go too current affairs and newsy on you, my observation of London this weekend Mm -hmm. is that London is kind of stealth reopening. Um, A lot more places are open than were open a week ago, even though sort of nothing has really changed. What kind of places are open that weren't open before? Because here... The only things that are open are are petrol stations, supermarkets, mm. off licenses, and maybe you know some hardware shops and a few some takeaways, and that's it. So normal retail and what have you is not open. Yeah, it was that way here for a long time. But if I so to use, I had to walk through Highbury yesterday. So you know Upper Street that runs mm-hmm. in Islington. It's got lots of shops and restaurants along it, yeah. and many of the restaurants that didn't offer takeaway services have now kind of changed to offer one, including right. sort of allowing up to three people into the store at any time to collect. Couple, mm, mm. Yeah, and there were a couple of other. Uh, I think there were. I, th- I seem to think that there were sort of shops that didn't sell food. A couple doing that too. Now, of course, like I get it. They, you know, economically this is disastrous for them, and they've got to find some way to stay in business. Mm. Um, but just yeah, it seems that like you know, it's interesting. And the Prime Minister of this country just came out this morning and said, "Oh, he's you know, alive, is he? he Nobody's is seen him for." For quite some he, time, yeah. He is a, he is he is alive, and he said that we are in a sort of you know, uh, paraphrasing here, but still a critical phase of this. But there has been a sort of, um, I think, a kind of unilateral uh, relaxation of the guidelines, but without any kind of guidance on that. Right. Um, that's my observation. I might be wrong. That's what I'm seeing in London, and I kind of feel to an extent, like what's happening in sports slightly reflects that. Although in fairness to Arsenal, they are operating pretty stringent guidelines and certainly not, they're certainly not operating in a way that would be compatible with a return to actually playing games. Yeah, this is the the guys doing individual training, isn't it? And and sort of, mm. um, you know, using the pitches for their physical work and what have you. It's not like, you know, uh, full training again where all the chaps are together and I think they're coming in in, in rotas in, in various groups. I don't know how big or groups small. Of five, the, groups of five, Groups of five, okay. Yeah. That seems strange. Why wouldn't you make it an even number? Why make it an odd <laughs> number? That, that's well, they're all working individually, so it doesn't make much difference anyway. It does, just in my head. Just right, my okay. Head. So, yeah, they've got an hour-long time slot and it's voluntary. They don't have to come. It's, right. it's available to them. They don't, you know, just like they don't have to take a pay cut 
it is available to them. Ah, okay. But they'll feel uh, no doubt pressure from uh, on high to, to come in and do the training if what we're reading between the lines is, is actually happening. We might touch on that in a while. But just sort of anecdotally, I, I, I agree with you in Dublin as well, particularly as the weather has improved a, a bit and there's some sunshine more people are out and about than previously. I think it's just human nature, isn't it? There's only so long that you can stay indoors for if you're not actually being forced to stay indoors. Like in certain countries, it's much stricter in terms of, you know, why you can go out and where you can go, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas I think here and there, they're urging people to stay home. It's not. Mm. It's not necessarily quite as as hard as it is, let's say, in Italy or or Spain. It's. It, it is really interesting because you know when the lockdown started, there was a quote from Boris Johnson saying, you know, it would take us twelve weeks to turn the tide against coronavirus, and some people thought that was quite ambitious at the time, and. Um, you know, I think there was generally a collective sense of, okay, 12 weeks, that sounds about right. But it, it, I think our tolerance for lockdown is is lower than that. I mean, we're, what, four or five weeks in now? And like I say, I think the cracks are beginning mm. to show a little bit. Um, and, I, and look, I'm not saying that to, uh, you know, I'm not ringing up authorities about this. You know, I, I get it. We're all going a bit stir crazy, but it's just interesting sort of finding where those those limits are and it'll be interesting to see what the next phase of this looks like yes yeah I, yeah i'm slightly worried about where it's going to go to be honest um because i don't know it's it's sort of become this this i know it's like waking up right in in the morning and seeing a gigantic spaceship over your city do you ever see that uh, tv series v back in the day you're no. probably a bit young actually for it so Sorry. this was this was in the 80s anyway, and uh, V, all of a sudden, the world wakes up and there are spaceships in the sky above all the major cities in the world, and this friendly, seemingly friendly race of aliens is there, but, yeah. you know, they're not that friendly. Pull the other one, guys. Yeah, we know. They're all lizardy, shape-shifting, eat, baby-eating motherfuckers, but they come and they live among us and what have you, but, uh, you know, I'm just saying it will be like that, but... The spaceship is there and everyone tells you the spaceship is going to kill you or could kill you. The spaceship could kill you with its laser beams, whatever it is. But unless it does or unless you've got some some sort of personal experience of it or, or something like that, it becomes just this thing that's there. Well, there's the spaceship. And I think for a lot of people, the the... COVID-19 is this sort of abstract concept of a thing which hasn't really had any negative effect on their life beyond making them have to stay indoors, which is a pain in the hole, you know, whereas for many people as well, of course, there is a, you know, a, a very real impact on their lives in terms of whether well, it's business, but, but more importantly, health and people who have died and lost loved ones and, you know, the, the impact that it has there where it becomes very easy to understand why we're being asked to do that simple thing of stay indoors. But unless it's sort of touched your life, I, you know, I guess it could be easy to get fatigued with it, if you like. Yes, I think so. Uh, I mean, I saw a tweet uh in the week it was from a, a telegraph columnist i'm just trying to find it now uh saying that two of her friends have unilaterally decided they are leaving lockdown today they are furious with the government 
and uh, someone said, you know, that it's important to help them keep safe and protect the NHS. And the response was, they don't need to be kept safe. They're extremely healthy women in their 30s and 40s with no existing health problems. COVID poses no threat to them. Uh, and I was like, that's a crazy thing to say on so many levels. Yeah. A, a because, you know, people of all ages and all kinds of health uh, are s- dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, from this illness, but also because it's so much about so much more than your own personal situation. Well, exactly, it's not about it's not about them being kept safe. It's about yeah. you know the, your your social responsibility. This is a woman called Alison Pearson uh, who. Oh right, you know what I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. And like a, you know, a few weeks previously, was was bemoaning people who weren't paying attention to the uh, restrictions and the rules and what right. have you. So you know, uh, you know that great Stuart Lee bit um, where he's talking about. Uh, Top Gear and Jeremy Clarkson and the controversial opinions that he has for money. I tell you what, you know, if you're an opinion columnist um, and you're actually just writing what you think people want you to hear or you're writing something to generate clicks or or to sort of uh, create controversy, you know, You've you've no way of standing over what you write because you can write something one week and a few weeks down the line you write something you know for the effect of it and it's contradicting something you previously said you know you've got no mm. you've got no um, moral center if you like and that that's clearly the case with that woman um, yeah I actually hadn't come across her before I I had to because her pictures like quite badly pixelated I thought at first it was a parody account I was like this can't be a real <laughs> newspaper columnist but of course it was of course it was. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean what what all this means in terms of them being back in training and uh, you know sport coming back. I don't know. I mean the Bundesliga appears the furthest ahead uh at this time in terms of you know being close to mm. matches taking place. It's still very difficult I think to quite foresee the mechanics of it in England. Um yeah, I I I have no indications of when it when it's going to happen. No, I mean, I think Germany is obviously in a very different uh, position from the UK in terms of the spread of the virus, the amount of people that have died, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. You know, so it's it's sort of varying from country to country, isn't it, in terms of how they're how they're viewing things. I mean, there's no I saw something this morning, um, could be the Spanish health minister saying that, you know, there's there's no way she can guarantee that football will be back during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so I think on on, on an individual uh country level it, it's going to happen at different times uh, and you know countries are dealing with things in different ways like we saw the uh, the Eredivisie has declared the season void which is yep. interesting um, using the current standings mm, I believe so yeah no champion um, in this season and you know I, again we're going over this because you know we just don't know but uh, it seems as far away for me as as uh, as it ever is, you know, um, just based on the public health risk to players themselves and the people that are involved in, in the game and, you know, the fact that you're going to have to get a lot of people together to make games happen, whether they happen behind closed doors or not, you've still got to get a lot of people in relatively close proximity. Um, yeah. I think Graham Potter, the Brighton manager, spoke about this over the weekend and said, you know, I appreciate we're going to go behind closed doors because of fans in proximity to each other, but what about a penalty box on a corner? 
Yeah. You know, the player's health and safety is of relevance too. And I get only with, you know, incredibly adept and consistent testing could this happen, I guess. Of course. But then there's the 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 moral issue, isn't there, of whether tests of that magnitude being carried out on footballers is acceptable mm. when there are people across the UK and across Europe and across the world uh, who could much more, uh, who need the tests, you know, who, mm. who require the tests, whose lives are just as important as footballers or anyone involved in the game. So, yeah, it's um, it's a weird fucked up thing, so... Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it is a it is a very odd uh, it is a very odd thing. I mean, I guess they have to almost make a trade off between you know the public interest of mm. having sport back uh, and meet that meaning that the tests kind of have to go that way. I mean, the protest could be privately acquired, presumably. Yeah, I think you can, and that would be something that clubs could. Obviously, finance uh, via the money that they've taken off the players uh, v- from pay cuts and what have you. So, I read your uh, the article that you were involved in uh, on the Athletic. Oh, the about weekend, the pay cuts, about yeah. the pay cuts and stuff. And you know, it was you and a couple of other guys. I can't remember. Stu James, yeah, and Laurie Whitwell, right. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's fairly clear who wrote which bit. Uh, from <laughs> from the article, but there's a all sort the spelling of spelling mistakes. All the spelling mean. mistakes, yeah. Uh, me, the bad grammar. Yeah. Um, uh, but leaving that aside, um, the sort of underlying impression that I got from your bits of the article, so to speak. I like the first line of it, by the way. Our group chat is shite, says the player <laughs> at the other end of the phone, and I'm thinking, which Irishman is that that they've spoken to? <laughs> yeah, um, interesting. Yeah. That's a bit of a giveaway there, fellas. Um, but the, the underlying impression I got from your bits and, and talking about the pay cuts at Arsenal in sort of broad terms was that there is a sense that this could be problematic um, and that maybe certain elements of how this have gone down haven't, haven't really resonated with uh, the players or haven't, mm. haven't gone down as well as you might hope with the players. And, and obviously... You know, I want to think about this and, and you know, Mikel Arteta doing his bid and, and leading by example and trying to maintain a, a measure of um, unity and harmony within the squad. But human nature being human nature, when you're dealing with 25, 27, 28 players, individual personalities, individual personal circumstances, people who might feel more disposed towards helping a football club than others because of either the way they've been traded or what their future might hold, the stage of their career that they're in. It does, you know, from what you're saying, there's probably some work to be done when everything does get back to normal to to not necessarily calm the waters, but just to make sure that the the effects of this don't cause problems. Yeah, I mean, look, it, I, I don't think Arsenal are going to be the only club to suffer these problems, but because they've done this early and because they've done it in the way they've done it with uh, cuts rather than deferrals, they are inevitably a pretty interesting case study and mm. I think there they sort of has to be the caveat in this discussion that I think a certain proportion of fans are just going to think will kind of stuff what footballers think and say about this and I have a measure of sympathy 
with that, you know, in that they're going to be fine. You know, that's the sort of, that's the big caveat, right? They're going to be fine. Mm. But uh, I do think that these pay cut conversations do things to a dressing room, do things to the dynamic between the players and the management. Um, You know, it's fascinating to think that, you know, we're all aware at this point that Mesut Ozil has not currently consented to the agreement. He's not obliged to. So you can have a, a, a changing room where you've got, you know, 10 of the 11 on the team who've taken 15% off their wages and there's a guy who is earning more than them that hasn't taken a penny off. So there's that internal dynamic mm. and what that could mean. Um, but then I think probably more interesting and more relevant is how it makes the players feel about the guys in charge of the club and how it might impact on things like forthcoming contract negotiations mm. or, you know, just players' degree of commitment to the club. I mean, when Ozil, Ozil's sort of disinclination to agree to the cut at this point became public, um, as much as that was met with distaste by some sections of the fan base, I know that players... Uh, Players, agents, families associated with players, you know, felt uh, quite positive that someone was, as they saw it, taking a bit of a stand in this instance. Mm. Because there, there is a feeling among Arsenal playing staff and the people around the playing staff that some of these players feel a bit coerced into, the, into making this agreement. Mm. That the introduction of the manager applied pressure. Uh, because inevitably it does, right? If, if the yeah. manager can say as much as he wants, you do what you like, but, you know, I think you should do this. Nobody wants to be the guy going against the, the new manager who they all admire and who's flavour of the month. And who picks the team at the end of the day. And who picks the team, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, it, it it's going to be interesting. And I guess in a way, <laughs> I guess in a way it's good that they're not all back in work together this Monday morning. Like, there's mm. something to be said for, you know, that dynamic kind of playing out a little bit in isolation and then, you know, having to try and get the group coherent again. I'm not sure if you put, you know, Raul Senyehi, Mikel Arteta, all the playing staff, you know, Josh in one room right mm. now, I'm not sure how how constructive that discussion would be. Yeah, I mean, we had a, just on the contract renewal uh, question, we did have a question here from Salt and Pepe. Oh, I like that. Nice. Um, he's at George CHR 14. He says, what do you make of Aubameyang's... Okay, here we go. What do you make of Aubameyang's dad's Instagram story basically urging him to sign and then Aubameyang's story saying that he was working on it? Do you think there's still a chance that we should keep him or should we just accept the fact that we move him or we lose him and move on? And there was one in the Discord as well which was similar. Let me see if I can find it. I can't find it, but it was to do with the the contract um, situations regarding uh, Aubameyang and Saka. Uh, but I can't... Oh, yeah, here it is. It was in the wrong... It was in the wrong... No, that's not it. I can't find it. Anyway, what do you think of Aubameyang's dad's Instagram? There's a fucking question I never I thought I'd have to ask. Uh, believe it or not, I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? And, well, I thought I saw something from Aubameyang, but basically I think his dad, um, as the uh, question go. goes... You know what you have to do, bro, says Aubameyang.papa. 
Oh, by the uh, got Papa. <laughs> I think, uh, in fact, that's incorrect. So what Aubameyang Papa, dot Papa has done is shared someone else's story to his story. And the story that they've shared is from an account called About Arsenal. And they've said, you know what you have to do, bro? And they've tagged Aubameyang and his dad and his brother, mm. right? Uh, he's just shared that. I'm not sure we can infer anything in particular from that because it's it's sharing an image of him signing his Arsenal contract when he joined the club right and I guess for them that's still you know he's just sharing that he's like yeah we did that but I don't think that means he's gonna stay does it I, I don't have a clue because I don't know what the situation with contracts is going to be like can I don't know that there's any way that even if let's say football doesn't begin again until September. Mm. Let's make that as a a time for it to come back. Okay. Completely sure. arbitrary. It could come back sooner than that. Um, you can't uh, sort of put this period between March and September and just unilaterally add it on to players' contracts. I don't think there's any way you can do that, is there? Um, without the players agreeing to it. So... The contract situations and the transfer market situation and everything else, I just don't have any clue what the implications of it are going to be for clubs. And I don't think we're really going to know until some stuff happens. And then we're going to say, well, this is the consequence. This is what this is what COVID-19 has done to the transfer market, what it's done to contract situations, what it's done to players desire to move or ability to move clubs. I just don't think we're going to know until it starts happening and we'll go oh wow okay well this is this is new or this is not what we were expecting or or whatever so um what what the club under normal circumstances should be doing is completely different from what they i mean i guess they don't have a clue either do they no i mean you no. don't give obama you don't say here pierre have a new two year extension to your contract and but you only here's, a play. Pay, here's a pay rise, but we don't have any idea when football is going to begin again. <laughs> no. You know, you just can't. So I think... Especially not at his, not at his point in his career. Not at like, his you point. Know. I think you can, yeah. like we said last week, I think you can do it with Saka. Because you can that's, assume that at some point he will play for you again. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see he posted a, a video on Twitter um, of his season highlights, I and saw. A lot of yeah, I saw. I've been asking you. if that means something. What What do you think it means? Do you think well, it means anything? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. And I I posted a little emoji of like a little signature of the padlock, a sort of optimistic. Oh, is that thing. what think, that was? I couldn't figure out what that was. But I, I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, yeah, Gunnerblog knows he's signing a new deal." I don't know that. I really don't. I I, I think that could mean anything i mm. think it's as likely as anything that it's like look how look how uh, good at football my client is any european clubs um yeah i hadn't thought of that <laughs> no I, th I think it's just content i don't think it's associated with a new contract but in his case like you say you can justify it more than with Aubameyang. Mm. I mean, Aubameyang's family, you know, are heavily involved in his representation. They they look after him, basically. His dad was a, a scout for many years and now works on the agent side too. So 
you know, what they say is relevant. I'm just not sure that sharing a fan's Instagram story celebrating the day he signed is really... Yeah. I mean, we're not going to get any definitive information on this until someone who knows the sister of Obama Yang's agent makes a post on LinkedIn. That's when things will really step up a notch. Yeah. LinkedIn is where it all happens these days uh, with contracts. Um, yeah, so, I mean, what do, what do you reckon they're going to get up to in training? I mean, they could play three and in. They could do heads and volleys from distance. I mean, well, are there the- actually ball things that players could be doing? Someone, uh, I sort of made a flippant remark on the blog yesterday about, you know, you could play, you could do long passing drills and what have you. And someone on the Facebook, let me just see if I can get it up here. It's Trolls Henrik Balslev Krag. Um, who was talking about this. He said uh, his Danish club, Silkeborg, had a talented young lad called Robert Skov. Um, but apparently he's a, he's a free kick expert and used lots of time practicing free kicks on the uh, training ground. I mean, could we come out of this with eight or nine set-piece takers because all they've been able to do is hit the ball over some, you know, one of their uh, the wall of cones or the, the wall of mm. dummies or what have you and practice free kicks, banging them in the top corner like Beckham against Greece. I mean, very possibly. They have been given balls to do ball work, and, and, but they're, they're not on the same pitches or certainly same halves of pitches. So, yeah, I guess long-range passing is possible, but then would the ball have a sort of contagion element to it if they share it? I don't know. Well, you just take your own balls and your own half of the pitch and your own goal and you stick the the the, the oh, wall. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Do that sure. and then just bang them over. Don't even have a goalkeeper. Hopefully, David Luiz is working on that free kick. Stuff I hope Because it's not, not borne much fruit no, yet. No, no, no. <laughs> it really hasn't, has it? Has he even come close? I don't think so. No. No. How many free kicks has David Luiz scored in his life? Not too many. There was one in a World Cup, I think, and maybe that's distorted our perception of how good he might be, and maybe it's distorted his as well. How many free kicks has David Luiz scored? Can Google tell us? Okay, hang on. Uh, Statsbunker.com. It doesn't feel like it's playing the percentages, does it? Um... Goals from direct free kicks. He scored two for Chelsea from direct free kick. Oh, no, hang on. Four for Chelsea uh, from a direct free kick. For Benfica, none. For Brazil, one from a direct free kick. For PSG, one. For Arsenal, Mm. none. So all time in his entire career... And how old is he now, David Luiz? 33? 33. 33. Yeah. The age of Jesus. And he scored six direct free kicks in his entire career. Mm. I mean, it's That's not, not great. It's not incredible. There's no, there's no reason why. How many why. free kicks does anybody score? That's the thing. Like, who was good at free kicks for Arsenal? Van Persie. Was he, though? Was he good? Was he well, good? Well, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm like saying. Like, he scored I, some spectacular ones, but Thierry Henry was good, but let's see. Oh, yeah, that's good. How many free kicks did Thierry Henry score? How many free kicks did Robin Van Persie? 12 free kicks in his Premier League career, Thierry Henry. Why can't I find... Why doesn't Stat Bunker give me Robin Van Persie? Let's see. 
Okay, all-time stats for Robin Van Persie. Uh, For Arsenal, five direct free kicks is all he scored. Mm. I mean, he he smashed them over the bar a lot as well. Eight in his entire career. That's not good. It's not great, is it? It's not great. I'm looking now at Premier League stats. Goals from free kicks. I mean, yeah... Zola and Henri scored 12 each. Uh, and they were pretty decent, right? Yeah, they were pretty decent. But I'm looking at um, uh, Lionel Messi, who scored 40, according to StatBunker anyway, 44 direct free kicks in his career. I feel like it's more because I thought I saw a video of like the 50 best Lionel Messi free kicks uh, of all time. So that's I quite mean, David, a difference. David Beckham is regarded as sort of the best we've had in the Premier League, I, I, I guess. And he scored 18. That's not great, is it? I mean, it strikes me that there is room for somebody to become, like, really, really good, good. good. Yeah. Is there anyone at Arsenal that we think has that capacity? Who are we looking at, thinking? Who am I looking at? I mean, Lacazette scored one. <laughs> One. Aubameyang <laughs> scored one, didn't he, against Aston Villa? That's right. It, I mean, it wasn't. It was a. It was a. A lovely oh, goal Pepe to score. Oh, Pepe is the guy we should be saying. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, Pepe scored some. Scored. How many has he scored this season? He scored two, two in that yeah. one Europa League game. Yeah, they were very good free kicks. So I think Pepe is the guy, for sure. In terms of people who've got ability anyway from set pieces. Pepe strikes me as the most obvious one because his corner delivery is good. We've seen him score a couple of free kicks. So that what he should be doing is uh, practicing free kicks all the time. All yeah. the time. And doing whatever it takes to get David Luiz off them, mm. if at all possible. Yes. yes. I mean, it will be great when, you know, the one in a million day where it flies in the top corner. That will be great. And we will promptly forget about all his... Horrific free kicks. No, I, we won't. We won't. <laughs> I will, for sure. You will. Well, look, maybe that's what they'll get up to because, you know, there isn't a whole lot you can do when you're training away from, from everybody else. So um, let me ask you this. What did you get up to at the weekend? What did you do to pass the time? Crikey. I mean, did you uh, watch anything good? Did I watch anything good? Mm, don't think so. I did a lot of walking. Right. I did a lot of walking. Just around your your house or? Uh, around London, just uh, to be outside but distant from people. Of I basically course, walked. And then on Sunday, I did some driving as well. Right. So mainly I've been <laughs> sort of transporting myself around. I really didn't watch anything of note this weekend. I'm trying to even think. I did a lot of... I did two quizzes. The the, the quizzes have become relentless. Have quizzes seeped their way into your life? No. No. Zoom quiz? I've never, ever used Zoom in my life. How are you doing this? By... It's incredible. Just not in... Like, for what? I mean, I I know people are having, like, parties and stuff and, like, you know... People are on tablets and laptops and they're sitting there having drinks together and doing quizzes and stuff. But I've never uh, been on a Zoom call in my entire life and I have no interest whatsoever in in socialising 
uh, in inverted commas, in that way. So Sure. Well, I, my life is basically a Zoom call with the interruptions. There are so many people... This sounds like we're popular. We're not. It's just that once, you know, once it's known that you're available right. on Zoom, oh, man, the calendar fills in. I mean, fortunately, it's got to the point where I've been invited to so many different quizzes that I can now just... If I'm asked to supply any questions, I've got... I can recycle them. You know what I mean. <laughs> I don't have to do any work at this point. I know. I mean, the isn't isn't part. isn't the point of a isn't a quiz online in that way completely redundant because you can just look up the answers or is it like first to press their buzzer gets the answer? Is that how it works or what do you mm, do? I think it just operates on a sort of honesty policy. Um, <sighs> but you know yeah. they're wrong to trust me. I watched Godfather two. Oh, all right. And it's fucking great. It really it's a good is. Film. It really is a brilliant film. And I was struck watching it. How good is Al it the Pacino best was. Ever? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But Al Pacino was so good in that film. This sort of quiet menace that he mm-hmm. has as Michael Corleone. And then you think of Al Pacino now, and you're wondering how did you how did you get from Michael Corleone in Godfather 2 to, like, even Heat. Have you seen Heat with mm. Robert De Niro? I mean, this is when it started for Al Pacino when when he started doing this kind of stuff. She got a great ass! <laughs> and you got your head all the way up it! He's, he's like, <laughs> what is going on? She got a great ass! And <laughs> you got your head all the way up in it! <laughs> I think it's because you get so good, people stop telling you what to do. Do you know what I mean? No one wants is? to say, Al. You get too big. No one wants to say, Al. Just dial do it you down. Do you dial out a bit? Here's the, go, yeah. go, go on. No, this is a, a, from a film called, uh, I think it's The Devil's Advocate with, with Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here he is. Here he is. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. I'm a fan of man. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> uh, it's just like uh, this transformation from a really good actor into this gigantic screaming ham. I think it's what happens when success goes too far. Seriously, I mean, it, it, that sounded like. Do you remember the? Was it Adam and Joe who used to play? The Pierce Brosnan clip. Yes. Uh, yeah, that sort of has echoes of that, doesn't it? Does a bit, the yeah. Maybe the shouldn't maybe, be living here anymore. shouldn't be living here, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that is a brilliant one, but... Yeah. yeah. But it is a shame, because like you say, Godfather 2, absolutely masterful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really brilliant, and um, I recommend watching it again. Brilliant. It's like... <laughs> it's like looking at Wenger's later teams versus, you know, 98 and 2002. <laughs> <laughs> what, when people stop giving you, you know, hundred percent and stuff, exactly, mm. it all goes wrong. It all does. <laughs> anyway, shall we leave? <laughs> That's like I'm going to use that and uh, Mickey um, forever. I think Mickey. Okay, great. Um, right, let's take a break. Will we? We'll do. We'll do a clutch of questions in part two. I think. All right. Yeah, let's that's, do that. That's coming up right after this.
quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. We were just talking off mic about uh, hammy acting and and, uh, James referenced the Pierce Brosnan bit, which was from a film called Taffin, I think. Mm. Um... So yeah, someone look up, bought me a DVD of Taffin once for my r- birthday. Really? Are you still friends with that person? <laughs> uh, genuinely not. <laughs> <laughs> there was a message there for sure. Yeah. Um, so look up that clip on YouTube. But I also recommend the we, uh, Nicholas Cage. Uh, teaches the alphabet. If you put that in YouTube, Nicholas Cage teaches the alphabet. You will get Nicholas Cage just reciting Fine the alphabet. Splife. It's unbelievable. Subtlety from Nicholas. True, a true um, master of um, the acting craft. A craftsman at work. Yeah, I mean, guess, you know, with with time off, James, you can look at these things and, you know, when when it all starts again, take them into your your life as an actor. While Pepe's doing his free kicks, I'll be learning to recite the alphabet in more exciting terms. Just um, like Nick Cage. Just like Nick Cage. Shall we crack into these questions? Yes, let's. Uh, oh, I'll go first in that case. Go on, then. Um, do Steve1DA on uh, Discord says, did you guys go to school with or were childhood friends of any footballers or anybody interesting? I went to high school with Brighton keeper Matty Ryan. And our topic of conversation, Arsenal, as we were both big fans. Thanks, guys. Well, there you go. I mean, that guy didn't play against us like he was an Arsenal fan. Not that I'm questioning his professionalism and suggesting that he should, you know, throw the ball into his own net, but, you know, not to try that hard. I think he's quite a good goalkeeper, man. I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, Did you go to school with any footballers? No. I did not go to school with any footballers. Um, Were there any footballers who had ever gone to the school? No. I mean, who went to my school that was in any way interesting? Maybe some Irish rugby internationals, but they're not at all interesting to me. Um, sure. Because I'm just not interested in rugby. Uh, comedian Dave Allen. He, okay. 
he went to my school. Um, but before me, of course, a good few sure, years. I was going to say before me. He's a f- he was born in 1936. So same same year pals. as my dad. Yeah, no, we weren't. Even if he'd been held back a year or two, he would have you know, escaped. <laughs> he would have escaped. Uh, but he was brilliant. He was a, a really uh, funny comedian, Irish comedian, who had a TV show in the UK in the 70s and 80s. Um, I did go to college with some people who who are not footballers or anything, but are in the media here in Ireland. Because I did broadcasting and I did journalism, there were certain people who obviously ended up in that uh in that world, um, who's the most famous of them? God. The guy who used to, uh, he was head of sport for RTE. Right. And he was also the commentator for, again, rugby. He was the commentator on all the Irish games, a guy called Ryle Nugent. He was in my class in, in college. Um, but I'm trying to think, was there anyone else? Not that I can... Recall. I mean, there were guys, like I said, there's guys who are working on the radio and in RTE and in newspapers and things like that, but um, wouldn't necessarily be household names. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. What about you? Well, I have got a bit of a weird story about this. Okay. So I went to school. He was younger than me. He was, I think he was in my brother's year or maybe slightly below. Like three, he's three years younger than me with a guy called Miles Anderson. Right? Right. Now, Miles Anderson is the son of a football agent called Jerome Anderson. Oh, he was... Um, I think he was Ian was Wright's he, agent. Yeah, was he Sol Campbell's agent for a while? Uh, very possibly, yeah. He, he represented a lot of players at Arsenal in the 90s, and I think he helped introduce sort of Burkamp and Overmars mm. to the Premier League. And So, yeah, he, I think he represented Ian Wright, Tony Adams. Uh, he was very close with David Dean, so he was a mm. big part of the club. Anyway... I've got. I, 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 so there's a bit of sort of mythology around this. So I'll, I'll offer that sort of, uh, you know, I'll offer that first because I might be getting things wrong here. This mm. is not me at my journalistic finest. So basically, Jerome Anderson's son Miles played football at school, but if you believe the people who Miles was at school with, wasn't particularly good. Like he was fine. Mm-hmm. He was quick and strong, but like not the best player in the school by any stretch. Right. Despite this, he has forged a professional career as a footballer. So... (laughs) Who does he play for? So he first moved to Aberdeen um, and then he went to Blackburn Rovers. Now, if I am correct, I seem to remember that from, from 2010... Uh, Jerome Anderson was heavily involved with the Venkies who took mm. over at Blackburn. Were they the the chicken people? Yes. So here we go. It's actually on the Wikipedia. In March 2011, when it was announced that Anderson's 21-year-old footballer son, Miles, had signed a pre-contract agreement with Blackburn, sources close to the agent insisted he had no day-to-day involvement at the club. This has been heavily disputed by Rovers fans who saw damning evidence of foul play. Uh, wow. So, so there you go. Not my words, the words of Wikipedia. Right. Um, now, I, I actually slightly remember Mars, lovely guy. He's still playing. He, last we knew, was at Aldershot on loan from Hartlepool. Right. Um, but, yeah, quite an extraordinary story of a guy who kind of somehow, God knows how, ended up in professional football. 
just shows that if you, uh, you know, work hard, keep your head down and have a dad who is a powerful agent, anything can happen for you, <laughs> I guess. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, I found an article here, just was looking up Jerome Anderson and, um, you know, Arsenal players. And this is a, an article from 2005. It says, meanwhile... Edu's future looks to be decided next week as the midfielder decides whether to sign a deal at Highbury or be sold. The 26-year-old is still looking for more than the reported five-year deal on offer of £30,000 a week with Valencia and Barcelona said to be interested. Agent Jerome Anderson said, Talks are ongoing with Arsenal and I think a decision could be made next week. Wow. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah, like I say, he's a he's a big figure in uh, in Arsenal history, really. Jerome Anderson. I mean, I, I suppose the Miles Anderson story. Um, and look, you know, he's been a professional footballer for more than ten years now. He, he's got to have something about him. You know, you you don't. He wouldn't have survived, I guess, of course. this long if, mm. if he couldn't play. Um, but you know, you and I have talked about kind of the influence agents can wield on football clubs. Uh, and I think sometimes that gets a bit poo-pooed or a bit dismissed. But, mm. you know, I think stories like this show that when it comes to transfer policy, they can have a very, very powerful role. Does uh, Kia have any children, do we know, of footballing age? <laughs> I think I'm he's just got trying one. To... Right. He, um, I think he's called Cedric, actually. I'm not sure <laughs> what became of him. Uh, nobody's heard from him. Nobody's seen him for yes. months. Yeah. Um, Right, here is a question uh, from the Discord, from Gervinho's Forehead, who says, name the best non-European Arsenal eleven, past or present, or past and present. He says, I would call it Work Permit FC. So we're going to have to build a team from players who are non-European. That's fine. Unfortunately, I can only think of one non-European goalkeeper. Mm. And mm. it's... Uh, David Ospina? David Ospina. The, the problem here is that Rami Shaban screwed us all over by declaring for Sweden when he was eligible for Egypt. He was a Swedish, that's right. Uh, is there anyone that we have? We had a Russian keeper or... Is Russia in Europe? Sorry, that's a really stupid question, but... Um, it is in football terms. That's the thing, yeah. Um, Are we doing football regulations or? I guess like so. EU? Like UEFA? Do we go? Do we use UEFA as oh, the right, guideline? Let's use UEFA. Yeah, it's a football question, so we use football's borders. Mm. Um, okay, I think we have to go a spinner. I fear. I'm trying to think if we had anybody. I don't think we have. Don't think we right have. back. We can have Lauren, which is great. That is a good one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, even though is he sort of uh, an inverted? Uh, I think he was born or certainly grew up and was eligible for Spain, but chose Cameroon, of course. So, um, um, centre halves. Well, David Luiz is an option. Colo Torre. Yeah, we got to have Colo. Colo's in there. I'm trying to think of who else. Um, uh, who are the other non-European central defenders that we have had? Not too many. Not too many when you think back. 
Um, I think Colo. Maybe maybe we've got to go Louise. Um, left back. Uh, Juan. Well, there's Juan. It's it's between Juan and Danny Carbassoon, isn't it? Might have to fit Danny in midfield. So. Well, there, there is Andre Santos, of course. Juan, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Even okay. though I've got my Andre Santos shirt. Okay, of course. So Juan, Louise, Torre, Lauren. Mm. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not too bad. Midfield, you've got to have Gilberto Silva. Yeah, and look, obviously, Edu is there as well. Um, you could use Edu in a Gilberto and Edu as a midfield Brazilian midfield. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad. Alexis Sanchez has got to be involved. Yeah, Sanchez on the on the left. Well, all the right, depending on who else we can think of. Um, Abue on the right? <laughs> I mean, we could. Skipping uh, ahead, Canu's going to be in up top, isn't he? He has to be, yeah. Um, Aubameyang. Oh, well, hang on. Martinelli's got to be in too. So we could have... We could have a front three of... Go on, you tell me. Canu, Aubameyang and Sanchez would be a pretty decent. Oh, yeah. You know, and then we could have Gilberto and Edu as our midfield, um, you know, uh, double pivot, if you like, and stick Martinelli in. As a kind of pressing number 10. Yeah, kind of a I false mean, it's eight very and a half slash but, 10. You know, Sanchez and Martinelli can rotate in and out of positions here. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty decent, actually. Not bad. Not bad. Little, little. I wonder, I wonder who we're forgetting. I wonder who everyone's going to tweet us about later saying, I was screaming at my phone. Yeah. Um, Emmy Martinez. Emmy Martinez, actually. Mm. Could have ousted the keeper, yeah. I mean, I think I'm, think I'm going to go with Emmy Martinez. So. Sure. Nelson Vivas, of course, we've left on the sidelines. Of course. We have. Uh, Julio Baptista. Julio Baptista, yeah. Can make the subs that. bench. He'd be on the bench. Uh, Silvino at left back. Oh! Sorry, Juan. That's who they were all shouting. That's what they were doing, exactly. The wolf boy himself. Mm. Okay. That's not a bad team now at all. Yeah. I mean, a lot it's of Brazilians. A for work permit regulations. Yeah, Brazilians. I mean, everyone loves... Everyone loves... It's always exciting signing a Brazilian, isn't it? Mm-hmm. For yeah. anyone who grew, grew up watching World Cups and stuff, there is a real romance about it. I sure. Think. And look, you know, we can make up the subs bench from uh, Junichi Inamoto. Um, yes, Rio Miyachi. That's right. Um, <laughs> Vladimir Petrovic. Have... Of course. Mohamed El Nene. Of course. <laughs> I feel like we must have had more... African players that I'm not thinking of. Arsene Wenger had a bit of a, a, a penchant, didn't he? For a, what, Christopher Ray? Christopher Ray, of course, yeah. Um, do, you know, do you want to know something Fabian about Caballero? Me? Fabian Caballero, who apparently is now known as Nestor Caballero. Like, I was Googling him the other day. He um, rebranded, did he? Yeah, yeah. In the, in, well, like Emmy Martinez. 
don't know if you remember, but for yeah, years he, he was, was Damian Martinez. Yeah, yeah. And then he became Emiliano Martinez. Well, I think his name was Damian Emiliano, so he just sort of did the switch. Well, I think the same with Nestor Fabian Caballero, apparently commonly referred to as Tyson. So Right. He wasn't known as Tyson when he played for Arsenal in 1998, that's for sure. No. Um, Quincy? Didn't he? Quincy played for Ghana. For Ghana. Yeah. Um, yeah. Danny Carbassian, of course. Uh, Who was the other American? Frankie Simek. Yeah, that's the other American, yeah. Um, yeah hey we've done alright there I think I think we've done okay Joel Campbell of course from Costa Rica Costa Rica True Young Park um, I think we're scraping the bottom of the barrel you, you mentioning Chris Ray just reminded me of something do you remember that George Ware came and played in the Premier League it kind of annoys me that it wasn't Arsenal for, played for Man City didn't he he played for Man City but before that he played for Chelsea as well and played... He was on loan from AC Milan at Chelsea. The fuck? In I'd forgotten. I'd 11, forgot. I think. Really? No, no, 2000. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was way out. I was a decade out. 2000, yeah. And he was pretty good for Chelsea. I think he played in an FA Cup final for Chelsea. Um, yeah, started a final, which they won 1-0. That's mad, isn't it? That's yeah. kind of mad when you think about stuff like that. I mean, and he was so close with Wenger, you would have thought, like, of course, he would have loved to have worked with Wenger. But we, at that time... 2000, yeah, we'd, we'd some decent we had forwards. We some decent forwards. Mm. Wow, yeah. I like this. I was just looking at his Wikipedia. He played 11 games in all competitions for City, scoring four times before leaving in October 2000 after becoming dissatisfied with manager Joe Royal. I mean, that's fucking nuts. If you grew up on Italian football, watching Italian football um, on Channel 4, uh, which was, you know, for a time, the only real-life football we could get, you know, and George Weah was just an astonishing player, the idea that he left Man City in 2000 because he didn't like Joe Royal is kind of bonkers. There must be a podcast in this um the Premier League's weirdest loan signings that people have forgotten. Like, I'd completely mm. forgotten about um, George Weah. I know. Incredible, eh? I mean, it's not as weird as the guy who played for Southampton who told Graham Soonis that he was George Weah's Ali cousin. Dye. Ali yeah, Dye, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is one of the most remarkable football stories of, of all time. At least Chris Ray was actually George Weah's cousin. He was, and he scored a few good goals for us. He yeah, scored yeah. one against... FA Cup semi-final against Wolves, Wolves no? And I do remember a belter of a goal. A either Bolton? A Bolton, and he scored against yeah. Wimbledon. Mm. Was that in the game that had to be replayed because the floodlights failed? Do you remember that game? Yes, I do remember the floodlights failing. And was the game uh, cancelled or did it But wasn't that at Wimbledon? Again? yeah. I think his goal was at Highbury against Wimbledon, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, no, you could be right. Wimbledon, but I remember Arsenal. the game. It was it was on television. It was a, it was a Sky That's, game. Yeah, I remember being going to the pub to watch it. It was a, yeah. abandoned Failed after floodlight floodlights. failure. But there were all these moments or all these um, rumours going around that it was to do with betting syndicates and stuff like that. It was December 1997. Um, God, that's a long time ago. I know. <laughs> Jesus. 
It was December 1997. The lights go out on Wimbledon again, was the headline in The Independent. Floodlights went out and an Asian betting syndicate was reportedly behind it. Right. They raked in a fortune on it. Okay, well... Good luck luck to them. them. It does seem like a different time. Mm, Yeah. Um, Graham J. Hawke says, for undisclosed reasons, you're short of money and decide to rob a bank. You have to assemble a five-man team of current Arsenal players to help you do it. You must explain why you chose each man and what their individual jobs would be. Think Ocean's Eleven, but better. And obviously, the first one that you're going to pick is Kalasinac from Muscle. I mean, that is what I was thinking straight away. Yeah. Um, Who else would you choose and why? I would choose... I'd have a Bemiang as my getaway driver because he's got the cars, right? Yeah, and he'd keep the mood high. You know, he'd be full of... Uh, he'd be relaxed outside. Yeah. You know, and Just then he'd be laughing. The Ferrari or whatever you want to, you know, fly off at speed. Yeah, but you've got to get five people in this vehicle so you're not getting five into, like, Aubameyang's chrome-plated Lamborghini. One can sit on the top or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I think uh, I'd obviously take Bern Leno because, crucially, he's got gloves on, right? No fingerprints. Oh, yeah. Smart. Smart. Um, so that's three of my Ocean's five-a-side. Mm-hmm. Who else? Uh, yeah, I think I feel like, you know, you've got some, you've got some speed. You've got I think some- I know, actually. I think I know who my other, t- my other two. Okay, go on. I'd take David Louise and Gunduzi because I would use them to fool the CCTV <gasps> cameras. Like the, um, what's that, what's the movie? It's another one with Pierce Brosnan. Uh, uh, yeah, we steals a painting. Yeah, steals the painting and then everyone looks like the same guy in it. What's that called? Uh, they're shouting. Remake. They're shouting uh, at it. They're shouting, they're shouting at us again. Should we uh, look it up? Taffin. Or? It's called Taffin, Taffin. I think. <laughs> Maybe you Pierce should Bros- be stealing the painting. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Pierce Brosnan painting movie The Thomas Crown Affair The Thomas Crown Affair I was thinking The Talented Mr Ripley I knew it wasn't that because that's the film where Jude Law gets his head caved in with a with a, an oar Yeah mm. have, have you watched that a lot just for that moment? I just have that bit on repeat <laughs> Actually that um, bit should be um, that bit should be uh, immediately followed by The Coffin Dancer guys Have you seen that? The coffin dancers, The yeah. coffin dancer thing where something saw, bad happens to someone and then they play this coffin dancing. It's quite funny. But there uh, you go. Yes, I saw the Andy Howe's John Terry remix yes. of that. Beautiful, beautiful. So there you okay. go, they're my five. I'm pretty okay. happy with that yeah. answer. I think that's a good five. I don't think there's any need for me to pick another different five, to be honest. Um, what about this? Christopher Smith, back in the day, <gasps> says Christopher Smith, I was a big admirer of Mark Overmars. I don't think he gets enough mentions and perhaps isn't remembered as much as some of his Arsenal peers. Were you fans and can you think of anyone in football who has a better name? Mark Overmars, who's got a better name than Mark Overmars. It's a good name. Mm. I think a lot of commentators used to sort of accidentally call him Marco. I seem to remember him being referred to as Marco Overmars a bit. And I was like, that's not his name. I remember that summer when we were signing him, I was working in uh, the offices of Riverdance. Right. (laughs) This is quite bizarre. It is quite bizarre. How has it been however many hundred episodes before you've mentioned that? 
Well, here's what sort of happened, right? I, I was, you know, working, uh, I was a DJ and I was doing radio stuff and I was doing nightclub stuff and what have you. And I got into this car accident and I was basically out of work for about six or eight months because of my broken arm and the, the, the injuries and everything else. Um, and my cousin worked uh, for a company. They're a TV production company. Uh, that that set this up in, initially, right? But Riverdance had just happened and it had become huge and they were touring around the world and stuff like that. And she got me a job in the office as a as a runner, basically. Somebody who would go in and just do the, you know, do the post room. And, uh, you know, we're having a, a lunch with 15 people. Go out and get us 600 sandwiches and bring them in and that kind of shite, right? But I remember right. being in the offices that summer when we were pursuing Overmars and uh, I remember reading it in the newspaper there that we were about to sign him. And I really liked the idea of signing Mark Overmars because I remembered him from the World Cup or from watching, I don't know what. I really, 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 Ajax, good Ajax team, really so wanted us. Yeah, the Ajax team, of course. Uh, I really wanted us to sign Overmars. Um and we did. And it was and great. Lo, we did. Lo and behold, we did. And he, you know, I, I think what what's maybe tarnishes his legacy a little bit is the way that he left, you know, the final season himself and Emmanuel Petit weren't really, they weren't really at it. They weren't, maybe my, I'm misremembering, but it f- feels to me like they weren't properly committed um, and Overmars was being linked with Barcelona and, you know, we've been been there, done that, worn the T-shirt, but that might have been the first time that we, we put that T-shirt on. Um, mm. But he was fucking brilliant. You know, that first double season, he was just unbelievably good. Unbe- he really sparked into life, didn't he? And yeah, yeah. some of the goals that he scored, it was just like, oh, yes, give him the ball. Just give him the ball down that left channel and it's a goal. Um so, yeah, I loved him as a player. Really, really loved him. Uh, you know, but I think the way he left and how he left and everything else, even if it did get us a training ground or go somewhere to get us a training ground and Thierry Henry and Nicholas Anelka and all that kind of stuff, you know, we got big money think, for those two. Yeah, I think I think it's the, the Anelka comparison is interesting because I think like Overmars, he suffers from not being with... They both suffer from not being with the club an enormous length of time. Mm. Like, you know, in Overmars' case, I think it was 97 to 2000, so three years. Um, they both left in a sort of relatively unpleasant, on an unpleasant note. Mm. Um, and also, they were both brilliantly replaced. And I think the degree to which you miss a player is quite associated with how effectively you replace them. You know, and Elka yeah. went out, Thierry Henry came in. Overmars was, of course, replaced by Robert Pires. Yeah. So that softened the blow for sure. Enormously, you know. So, and as brilliant as Overmars was, and he was sensational, I, you know, I think Pires was probably better. Yeah, I liked Pires a lot more. Um, but Overmars was kind of interesting because he was sort of... In those days, Arsenal played 4-4-2, but Overmars... I mean, he, you know, he was not a conventional wide midfield player. I mean, he really was a third attacker. 
in the way he played. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of like a 4-3-1-2 or, you know, particularly with Bergkamp yeah. behind as well. The exactly. sort of the two ones behind a, a main striker, um, you know, with the licence to, to roam a bit. Um, it was a bit more the, the sort of modern wide forward that we... It was, know, it was like when, when you play championship manager or football manager as it was back in the day and you set your team up in a 4-4-2, but you'd put your left winger just a little bit forward with the arrow. Sure. It that's was very it. much that. I think that's exactly what Arsene did. I think he did the little dotted arrow. Yeah. Overmars uh, had an arrow when he wrote out the team sheet. Mark, arrow. And, and that was the 90s as well. That's just how sophisticated tactics were then. You just had a little arrow. Yeah. That's all you needed. Yeah, exactly. That's but, the yeah, direction you gr- go in. He was a great player. And in fact, my greatest, uh, one of my best memories of Mark Overmars is because he initially retired in 2004 due to a persistent knee injury. And mm. two years later, he came and played in Dennis Bergkamp's testimonial, the first game at the Emirates Stadium. And he was brilliant. Right. Like, he was so good. He was one of the best players on the pitch. And there were people playing who were still playing. And it was clear he had so much ability. And, you know... Lo and behold, two years later in 2008, he did actually uh, do it again. I think he played in Jap Stam's testimonial and was so good that he got invitations to have a contract in Holland and Germany and make a professional comeback. Um, But he... And I think he did come back because he was director at Go Ahead Eagles. I think he ended up playing for them after they had an injury crisis. Did he? Wow. Yeah. So, And that was in 2008. So that was, you know, four years after his retirement. He was 35 and he made a comeback um, for one season. Wow. So, yeah, quite a cool story. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he had a big injury. I think he... He did his cruciate, didn't he, before he joined us? And that was... It was a risky signing. Yeah, because cruciates Um, back then, um, there was a... Yeah, they could be career-ending. Yes, there's a quote from Arsene Wenger after the FA Cup final in which Overmars scored, where he says, all Europe thought Overmars was dead because of his damaged knee. But he has great mental strength, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's... Um, uh, He's... he's, he's, uh, whether it's risk or whether it's an ability to see beyond what most people would consider too risky. But when you think about, you know, the Canu thing as well. Yeah, that was just 18 months later when he got Canu. There were a lot of gambles in that period. You know, Thierry Henry, of course, had massive potential, but he was not in form, not Mm. necessarily a hot property at that point. Mm. Yeah, huge gambles that paid off in a in a big, big way in that late night. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Mark Omos was a really good yeah. player. AFC Met says, do you miss football as much as you thought you would? And on the Discord, um, let me have uh, a look yeah, here. We have question, one from Sam... Uh, Kazmi, Sam Kazmi. Sam Kazmi, sorry, my... Uh, I copy and paste it into something and it's all a bit wonky. But he said, the longer this quarantine has continued, the more I've begun to realise I don't really need football, specifically watching football in my life. My love for other types of entertainment has only increased. I wonder what kind of entertainment that could be. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> he says... <laughs> Not football. His his love for other entertainment has increased, mm. but not football. How do I come to terms with this feeling? P.S. I did enjoy watching your FIFA games. 
Well, that's definitely not football. No. So that's okay. Mm. We were very we were very much anti-football in the way that we played. Sure. I mean, in answer to AFC Matt's question, how much do you miss football? A lot. A lot. Yesterday, I, yesterday morning, I was really missing it, you know? Just yeah. from the point of view of the... You know, it's like having this massive part of your life just taken away and mm. not replaced with anything other than worry and stress and anxiety and, you know, yeah, there's, there's sort of nothing there. So, yes, I do miss it a lot. And I miss the 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 normality or the sense of normality that it brang and the, the, the structure that it, that it gave my life. Um, yeah. But even just from the point of view of, it'd be great to just watch a game of football and then write about the game of football and talk about the game of football. And, you know, people who listen to this podcast can uh, hear very clearly that we don't necessarily need football to talk absolute bollocks for (laughs) 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it might be. We don't necessarily need it, but it would be fucking great to have it, you know? Um, So I am missing football. I'm missing it a lot and I'm missing, you know, the fact that if football exists, things in general are obviously better. So there's that part of it too. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's a complex one, actually. It's not as straightforward as I really miss it. I, I miss, yesterday I found myself really missing playing football. I don't play mm. football that much, but, you know, probably once a week. But I really do miss yeah, that. I me think too, I miss, yeah. you know, the sort of the community element of that as well, of course. Um I do miss watching the games. I love watching a game. I love the theatre of it. I love, you know, it's great entertainment. I don't massively miss the schedule for me in terms of sort of being at games and having to be away from home now and again. Like, I like being at home. You know, that suits Mm. me. So in terms of, like, being able to be at home, hang out with my wife, you know, feel like I've got a bit more time to breathe i sort of appreciate that little respite but you know we would have had that in the summer anyway so i kind of think you know it's sort of like it's the same isn't it when when the premier league season ends there is always a little sort of brief moment of like there's a bit of a relief for a few weeks yeah and then you're like okay come on when's the world cup Mm. or whatever it is and and i think there is some of that but i do wonder if there will be fans like sam casmi who whose relationship with the game changes. I think it's really different for everyone. I mean, my mum is uh, not like a massive football fan, but she likes her football and she's missing football so much. And she keeps saying to me that it provides her week with so much structure. Mm. Like it is kind of her calendar in a weird way. And when you take that away, I I think that's difficult. But I do wonder if there will be people who whose relationship with it is just a little bit different after all this. I think that's inevitable, isn't yeah. it, given how seismic it is? Yeah, it is, because, you know, other things might be a priority, like, you know, paying your mortgage or getting your business back up and running and, absolutely, you know, things that you could do because, not that it was autopilot or whatever, but it was just so part of your day-to-day life. Maybe you've got to, you know, do things differently or you're going to have to work a different kind of a job or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it is going to fundamentally alter... Um, people's relationship with the game, people's relationship with clubs. Uh, and I hope, you know, that the clubs 
are smart enough to recognise the challenges that fans and supporters and even people who just have a passing interest in football are going to face, mm. um, you know, in... You know, we can say when football comes back and then you think, well, you know, in a couple of weeks when football comes back, it'll all be all right again. It's not going to be all right straight away or it's going to be, it's going to take some time for us to rediscover what what normal is and what normal is afterwards is going to be different from what normal was before. And football clubs have to be aware of that. They have to be smart and they have to recognize that they can't take people's support for granted. They shouldn't take people's support for granted and they shouldn't look to exploit every single aspect of fandom for financial gain, which is, you know, the reality that we existed in before, right? It is, it is. So let me give you a good example. Football clubs that have betting partners should Mm. not have betting partners after Mm. this. They make enough money from all their other revenue streams, you know, and and we know that most people can just have a bet every now and again, and that's it. But there are people who, you know, are are badly affected by the the nonstop barrage of, you know, a football club or Ray Winston, you know, bet on this football right now Mm. or else. Um, You know, I, I think there are certain aspects of the way football clubs are run that are going to have to change um, out of respect or consideration or whatever it might be for, for fans. I hope that's the case. So, Yeah, I mean, I've already seen a couple of Premier League clubs, I think, coming out and saying, we're pleased to confirm uh, we will be freezing season ticket prices for next season. And I was like, yeah, you're telling me. I mean... You know, that's the very least, I think, that Premier League clubs will need to mm. do in order to fill those seats. Yeah. Um, I think they might have to be a bit more creative than that, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. It's, it's. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we could see uh, a completely different kind of uh, either ticket environment or membership structures at clubs might become different in terms of, you know, the way tickets are distributed and, and everything else, I think, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was completely different. I don't quite know how, but... Yeah, I, yeah. I'd be surprised if the sort of mythical waiting list at Arsenal is quite as long mm. uh, when the season rolls around. Mm. But yes, uh, should we have another Go question? On. Let's do another couple quickly and then we'll... Okay. Um, oh, you said quickly. If you could choose... Oh, I like this. Leon Smith, who's okay. at Owen McFruity. If you could choose to sit anywhere at the Emirates apart from the bench, where would you choose? Behind the NBC commentary position. Every <laughs> single game. Great. Yeah, because it was great fun last time. Yeah, I mean, my season ticket is in Block 6. I really like it there. It's mm. got atmosphere and it's a very different football experience to you know, watching it on the telly. But yeah. I have to say, at Highbury, my seat was just behind the managerial dugout and that was fascinating because yeah. you could hear some of the discussions, you could see the monitors that they could see and hear the conversation with the officials and know why they sent out which sub when. That was cool. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, the the views generally within the Emirates are great wherever you are, you know. Very um, true, yeah. But, uh, of know, course, the higher up you are, 
the clearer sort of tactical picture you get. You know, mm. I think there is a degree to which that's true. Halfway line, front of the first tier or the top tier, yeah. second tier. Yeah. Isn't that where, I think that's where Tim Stillman sits. Tim Stillman has an, an infamously brilliant seat. Yeah. Mm. Famously, rather. Yeah. Nothing, nothing infamous about it. Yeah. Um, the seat itself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the seat is cursed. The seat is cursed. Uh, final one, then. Let's do it. And this one comes from the Discord. And it's uh, from Stickers, who says, What dystopian movie series do you think you'd survive best in? And which of the following will be closest to what real life has become in six months' time? A, The Hunger Games. B, Mad Max. C, World War Z slash Zombieland. Which one would you do best in? Um, Mad Max, because I'm not a brilliant driver, and I think that fits in quite well with some of what goes on in that movie. So you would be one of the guys hanging off the side of a truck with a with a big bat and nails in it and shit? I think so, yeah. I, I have to say, I've, I absolutely love Mad Max Fury Road, the most recent one of those films. That's the one but with... Um, Charlize Theron. And so. what's-his-face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mumbly, Mumbly Joe. What's his Bane. name? Yeah, the Mumbly man Joe. who was ahead of us all with the face mask. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. What's Tom Hardy? Uh, Tom Hardy, yeah. He, yes, but it's a great movie. And yeah, I, I like wanted it. to recommend it to people, but I've, I watched it in a cinema and it feels like that might have been quite an important... No, it is good. It. I don't know. It is good. I it's good, enjoy, it's good yeah. on a telly as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it right. is good on a telly. Um, I've never seen The Hunger Games, so... I haven't either, and I've been told I would like it. Is is this like a concept of where you have to like? It's like gladiatorial, basically. Yeah, so you got to stay alive by doing shit or on a TV Fight, show? fighting. I think. I think you're put into some sort of you know extreme version of TV's gladiators and ask you know and winner gets to live or something. Okay, so contestants are pitted against each other until only one remains, kind of shit. Sort of, yeah. Right. No, I wouldn't be any good at that. Um, I really wouldn't. Uh, World War Z, I haven't seen that, but that's the one with Brad Pitt and all the zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So. No. No. I don't no, want to be no, near no, any no. zombies. I as well. definitely don't want to be near any zombies, but I think maybe Zombie Land, is that the one with Woody Harrelson? I don't know. Or is that. Yeah, hang on, let me see. Inqu- uh, remarkably, they've picked a number of films here that I just haven't seen. Zombie Land. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. It's more of a funny film. Oh, okay. Maybe that's so. I think I could probably go with that. Yeah, bit of bit of comedy and whacking zombies. I think I could deal with that better. I could deal with that better than hordes and hordes and hordes of zombies like in World War Z. That's just stressful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, can't be doing that. They move too fast. They move too fast. I don't. I don't feel like zombies should be able to move that fast because, you know, they've got no blood going around them. Their muscles will surely be atrophying. Don't... Well, they, I mean, isn't that isn't that what... Uh, what's his name? Simon Pegg says, you know, he's like... Oh, in Shaun of the Dead. Movies. Yeah. Yeah, certain zombie movies aren't zombie movies because they move fast. Like zombies, by ah, their nature, okay. have to move slowly. They have to kind of lumber towards you. It's sort of part of the fundamental premise, yeah. Um, I agree with that. I think lumbering zombies 
is the way to go. Yeah. Fast zombies is just cheating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like that thing they wanted us to do with the FIFA game. Turn everything up to 100 or whatever. And we didn't know how to do it. No, and I still don't. I still don't. Shall Um, we finish with um, Al? Shall we finish with Al? You can call me Al because, James, you've got... Great ass! (laughs) Thank you. And you've got your head all the way up it! That's wow, be... what flexibility I've shown yes, to do that. Yes, truly. The yoga and Pilates that you're doing at the home. The Zoom is yoga off. classes I've been doing. <laughs> Finally. All right, folks, we'll leave it there for uh, for this episode. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Enjoy all the other Arsenal podcasts that there are out there for you to listen to as well. They're, multiple, big... they're breeding. They're bre- like zombies. They're lumbering towards you, all these <laughs> Arsenal podcasts. They're coming to eat your brains. Um, we'll have more during the week. Um Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting, subscribing, and all the rest. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.